Hey, before we get into today's episode discussing Arinda Price, I just had a couple of announcements. We made it to the first episode of the interseason break. I am so excited to get into these five episodes with you all. I think you'll really enjoy the content I've got in store, starting with this discussion. As I announced toward the end of last month, the Fall 2020 Listener Survey is still live. Your responses really help shape the future of the show. The survey covers a lot from your thoughts on the content and the format of the show, to your listening habits, to your suggestions and thoughts on future ideas, like merch items and a potential Patreon. So if you want to have a say in the future of this show, please make sure to check out the Fall 2020 Listener Survey. I've posted a link in the episode description, and the link is also pinned to the top of the Outer Rim Reads Twitter account. Your input is so appreciated. Now, without further ado, let's get into episode 17 of Outer Rim Reads. Hello there, listeners, and welcome to episode 17 of Outer Rim Reads, a podcast that journeys chapter by chapter through various Star Wars novels across the canon. My name is Andrew Geha, and I'm your host along this journey. In this episode, the first of five in our inter-season break, we will be discussing Arinda Price's adaptation from the Thrawn novel to the Star Wars Rebels TV show. And I'm joined today by Sean Borland, creator of the Star Wars book guide blog, Sean Wars. Sean, how are you doing, man? Thanks so much for being on the show today. I'm doing pretty good, Andrew. I'm super excited to be here. This is my um, podcast debut, so super happy to be here. You're already off to a good start, man. I'm glad to be the first. <laughs> you know, this is your first time on the show. If you could give the listeners uh, kind of your background in Star Wars, uh, just to let them know where you're coming from with the saga. Yeah, so I started, uh, my fandom started when my mom took me to see The Phantom Menace at the ripe age of eight in 1999. My favorite Christmas memory is building an N1 Starfighter later that year. And then after The Revenge of the Sith, I still like had a love for Star Wars, but it wasn't like crazy i remember i didn't give clone wars the tv show a shot and my brother watched it and i wish it was a bonding moment we could have had but then when they announced the uh, sequel trilogy it's kind of like ignited my my love for it again and i was just graduating college at the time and a couple buddies we watched all six six t- um episodes and then um, when force awakens came out saw it like midnight obviously and then i just started reading the books and like the books were the thing that like really ignited star wars again and it's like, because I read so much now because of their Star Wars books, and it's my favorite way to consume Star Wars. I don't know why, because my pictures in my head I create, but it's just like a super awesome way to see like such a bigger world of Star Wars, and they can go down like a little different paths than you can necessarily on a, on a, on a movie. No, oh, for sure. I think I've thought about it a couple times, uh, just in like reflecting on my own fandom, where I read some of the, the younger, like the kids Star Wars novels when I was growing up, but there was a, a long period where it was just the movies for me. And I didn't realize how vast the universe, the literature was. And so when I kind of started my dive in, like, <laughs> there's so much. And, and I feel like, to me, I think the books sometimes feel more engaging than the movies which might be a hot take but there's just so much that you can unpack and expand it's really it, it opens such a whole new world almost yeah really i think it's one of those things where it's always like the movie or the book is better so 
just seeing people's thoughts. And even when you see like characters you love on screen, reading them is just like a little bit like more of an intimate experience. And it's just so cool to see how they can build the world just with some words. Yeah, and I love even more when we have the chance to compare a character that we know from a book to how they appear on the screen, like, you know, with, with Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings and all that. That's always been like an entertaining uh, compare and contrast. But today we've got the interesting case of Arinda Price uh, and how she appeared in the book compared to how she appeared in the show. And my vision for this episode is, is if we're satisfied with that, with the transition that they created for her character. And the way that I've laid out this kind of the structure of this episode, listeners, is that Sean and I have positives and negatives. We have three overarching positive points and three overarching negative points that we can discuss about Price's character. And um, before we dive into those, I'm just going to read a section of the internal monologue at the beginning of the first chapter when Price appeared in the book, and I think it sums up her character and her story very well. And I quote, But as with games of cards or dice, sometimes unexpected crossings occur. Some are driven by chance, others by design, others by a change in one's goals. Some are driven by malice. Such manipulations can prove effective in the short term, but the longer-term consequences can be perilously difficult to predict. The path of Arenda Price is one such example. A deep and perceptive study of it can serve as a valuable lesson and as an even more valuable warning. Before we get into this, Sean, what are your thoughts on Arenda Price? As we have known her from the book that season one has covered, to how she appeared in, in Rebels. What are your thoughts on Price? When she popped up the first time when I read the book, I was like really surprised to see her just because I'm pretty sure I'd seen her on the show, but just like I was just so surprised to see her in this book with Thrawn because um, I don't have, I never read the original Thrawn trilogy. So this is also my first experience really with Thrawn. And I think she's like a really good companion for Thrawn in this novel because especially their beginnings. They both begin at like a really like low level with a lot of setbacks and xenophobia and people like othering them because they're from different places. So I was really excited to see her and she was like more exciting than I thought she would be in the book. Just to see her go through all her hardships and everything like the guests have said before, like how she overcomes all those things. Um, but I just I genuinely enjoyed her even after seeing her being like a villain in the TV show. It was cool to see that like come up story for her for sure i feel like she underwent a huge transformation and progression in the book more so than thrawn thrawn didn't really have a ways to go it's just a matter of how he began to fit in to the to the scheme of the empire with price you know we started out with this she and her family owned a mine on lothal of all places in in the outer rim and you know wild space and all of a sudden, we know her from the show as, as this governor. And, and to see how she got there in the book, I mean, Eli had a roller coaster ride of himself, but I feel like Price had a lot more ups and downs. It was a really different experience seeing her in the book and being able to empathize in a lot of ways with her and seeing how she really suffered a lot and how she took hold of that and, and made it her own to see how she appeared in the show as, as just a villain. 
I, I thought that was really fascinating. In one hand, we see kind of like the ups and downs, the ebbs and flows that she underwent. And then in the in the show, she's just one of the baddies right there uh, and a force to be reckoned with. How about you start us off with, I feel like we should start off with uh, the positives here on a, on a good note for Price. I feel like there was a lot of elements that the show got right about her. And we'll, we'll get to what I think they didn't so much. But how about you start us off with the first of your positives? One of the things that you really liked with how they portrayed Price and, you know, if that was true to how we knew her from the book. Yeah. I just want to say, like, that I feel like I have a little bit of an advantage over you because I've listened to all of your opinions throughout the whole book and you haven't been privy <laughs> to very many of mine. So I've heard all the times um, where you said you, like, like things or didn't like things about her. So I feel like I'm, like, a little bored of a man, just advantage, at least as far as, like, understanding you. Um, <laughs> I'm going to start, like, super simple. This isn't, like, deep at all. But I really like that... She spent all the time in the dojo and like really training her skills because like I definitely don't equate, you know, hand to hand combat with a governor. And she spends all this time in the dojo and then we actually see that get paid off. Um, I feel like if it was Thrawn or um, the team at Lucasfilm that like put that in there, like, hey, incorporate this or whatever. But like just seeing her be able to fight and go like hand to hand combat makes sense in both stories. It's not like, oh, she can fight. That's weird. So I really liked just like super simple, positive thing that she spent all that time like practicing hand-to-hand combat. That was actually one of the notes that I had because there's a a couple of points in the show. I forget if it's, it's season three or four, but you're right. We do have that point of connection where we know that she trained in self-defense at the Yinsham Dojo in the book. And then in the show, for anyone who didn't know that, there's a couple of scenes where she goes in hand-to-hand combat with Sabine Wren, a, a full-fledged yeah. Mandalorian who also trained at the Imperial Academy. She was a cadet. And then with Rex, who you know, is a clone. I know he's up there in age as far as clones go as well. He's a little bit older, but he is a veteran. And there's a couple of scenes where Price holds her own in hand-to-hand combat with those two badass characters. Because you're right, we wouldn't really expect that from a governor, right? But I think that was a good connection where for those who have read the book like oh this makes sense and I, I like how they included that where it kind of goes under this point of like her her capability and command I think which I really liked about Price and how she held her own against a Mandalorian warrior <laughs> a, a civilian of the Empire a governor is I guess technically a civilian and and also against a, a clone who, who fought in years of brutal warfare and she didn't do so badly not too shabby yeah if you look at her resume you're like okay she's daughter of minors she spent some time at coruscant and she's now a governor you'd be like i could take her but she like surprises everyone <laughs> is like oh no you can't and i think in fairness sabine ended up winning the uh, little engagement that they both had uh, she got the best of price there but really as far as the show goes and when she fought rex she won that fight she had like knocked him down was about to kill him before someone else intervened i really like that where you know we wouldn't really see imperial politicians engaging in you know kind of just getting on the ground into the thick of the fight and that that's another point kind of tying in under this point of her capability and command that i thought where and this will also tie into a little bit of the negative i think but how she really got on the ground in rebels she led some assaults she led missions military missions she really got into the thick of the fighting in in a few cases especially towards the latter stages of season four when she was trying to track down the rebels on lothal after they stole i think the tide defender computer system and how she really got into the thick of the fight where you know we saw in the book how 
especially at the end when they were escaping Paragosto City, she was not afraid to get her hands dirty. And then we saw her lead some military missions in the show, which I thought was pretty cool from an imperial governor. Yeah, definitely weird to see Tarkin fighting someone or, you know, <laughs> going into a cruiser. You know, be like, is that Tarkin on that uh, drop ship? So it's definitely like it's a cool aspect to her that I think brought like more uniqueness to her character than just some other, you know, general whoever or grand moff whoever that we typically get. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of times in the book where she set herself apart, and I feel like out as far as Imperial Governors go, she might be edging towards the top of that list where, oh, she can also fight pretty well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which I thought was, was pretty brilliant. There was uh, another kind of like to finish out my capability and command point before we kind of go on to, to your next positive. There was a point in, uh, I think, the Sky Strike Academy episode where... She realized that there were a few traitors in their midst when they were going through some flight simulations. And she actually had this brilliant plan where she rigged all of the TIE fighters, kind of like kill switched them if she needed to. And when she realized that Sabine and a few others were traitors when they were flying off to this rebel transport, she she rigged those ties. She br- kind of broke off their wings and had the Empire destroy one of them, just like this kind of helpless, harmless TIE fighter bulb that was just floating in, in space. She's like, kill them, then destroy their transport. She was really a force to be reckoned with. That was like a really brilliant plan where instilling fear in the other rebels who see their friend just get blown out of space helplessly and then she was able to cripple their transport there were some really good points in command that price handled i thought yeah definitely especially like the pods and like how that plays back later with the defender i think that might lead more sometimes towards my negatives but like she also like is cunning in like her demand and she isn't one of those admirals or whoever i forget the guy who failed the attack on the little island just by he's like oh we're just gonna bombard him like she isn't one of those people she isn't like hey we're just gonna you know use our firepower like there's a way to do this like smartly for as bad a word as that is i mean it's true though there there were a few points where she had kind of just sound tactics where she could have handled that very differently rather than kind of picking her moments and going from there but there was a balance between what tactics that she got right and then things that she didn't really handle so well but we'll get to that mm-hmm. in the negatives what was uh what was your your next positive point about arinda price i really like especially like if we compare like the end of the book on baton to like her time like the last couple episodes or like the last half of season four when it's like really getting to be like a, like a breakneck point she just employs this ruthlessness of i'm, I'm gonna get what i need to done to take care of this and both times it's only to get rid of like one thing like when she blows up mm. all of the people in that settlement is to cover her tracks for one person that's dead yeah and then she does the same thing to kill kane and jaris which is like a heartbreaking moment but she destroys so much and like readily that's the start of her undoing when she blows up the fuel sure. depot just to accomplish like one little thing that she wants to do like i think if we compare her to thrawn in that moment it's like He's okay with the losses he takes, especially in Rebels. But she's like, no, I have a chance to get a small win, whereas the small win is like minuscule compared to like the damage that's caused. Yeah, for sure. I I think it was kind of ironic that as big of a firestorm as she set off when she blew up the fuel depot, it was just for one person, for one kill. And I like how you tied that in with what we saw at Paragosto City, where she literally blew up an entire complex and presumably 
most of the city as well over one person, over one body in that case of, of Agent Gudgery. And I think they, they tied that point in well with, I think, one of her first appearances on the show, where, and this kind of goes under my point of malice, I think that I like how, you know, you, you were talking about her cunning and her ruthlessness, and I think they really captured her malice in the show very well, where when she introduces Thrawn to Admiral Constantine and Agent Callus, Callus kind of points out the Paragosa City incident that you were talking about, where the, the civilian casualties outnumbered the insurgent casualties. And in the show, she said that they were, quote unquote, acceptable margins, which I thought was a pretty consistent from what we saw in the mm-hmm. book, where she knew that it, that's what needed to happen there. And in the show, just, yeah, it's, it, uh, it was acceptable. It's what needed to happen. And just were reminded there, especially with what we know from the book of how far she's willing to go to get what she wants, even if it means killing so many people. Well, she just kind of just writes them off as acceptable margins, yeah. which I thought that was a good consistency from the book to the show. What did you think about her quote-unquote interrogation of Hera in the show? Because I feel like if there was a point of malice, that was it. Especially because, like, they've been going, like, head-to-head for so long. And, like, you know, Hera has just been, like, the biggest, like, thorn in her side for since she's been on Lothal. Like, even in the book, she's like, hey, I've got some issues with some rebels. I forget, like, the specifics, but I just remember, like, just, like, sitting in my chair and being like, she is, like, enjoying this way too much. Way too much. It was really uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. And then when Thrawn comes in, too, and interrupts it, like, just the difference of Thrawn and her, like, forgetting information. You know, Thrawn, like, understands things, and she's just, like, more like a, she's like, I'm going to use a blunt object, where Thrawn will, like, slowly, like, nick away, and, like, he understands, probably, he probably knows beforehand, but she's like, just give it to me, like, I need it, and just goes all out, because she's probably mad, and she thinks that's the only way to get it. And I feel like that kind of speaks to, uh, you know, because her and Thrawn have a lot of similarities from what we saw in the book, as far as being able to, some extent, see the longer picture. Price falls short of seeing the the bigger picture compared to Thrawn, but we got a lot of those moments in the book where she was able to see how things played out before, you know, kind of like picking her moments and maximizing her efficiency in those moments. But there was a lot of that kind of just (laughs) hit them with a blunt object. I like how you're saying that in the show. Because in that scene, Thrawn is very kind of just cold and calculated about how he's talking to it and questioning Hera. But when he walks in initially to their interrogation he asks hey you know how much do you know now because the scene opens with price torturing Hera. she's like oh i haven't even started asking questions yet <laughs> and i was just like oh my god just sitting there for god knows how long just yeah inflicting pain and torturing Hera. and i feel like that speaks so much to what we have come to know about Price in the book, like this this imperial who is very sound in having the upper hand. They know that they're in control in that moment and that there's nothing that their victim can do about it. And they relish it. And we saw Price relish that. And I, I thought they captured that really well. There was a lot of malice that we saw from Price in the show, but it was, it was accurate, especially considering what we saw her become. Yeah towards the end of the book, at the end of the book. I think it's a cool point to jump off as we think about like her first time where she really, she gets screwed over by Senator Ranking at the beginning of the show and that that sets her back a lot. And then she ends up getting him back a little bit or a lot actually. But she also like really gets um, her like first like turn into being like, okay, this is how it's done is when she like does that to Wahir in the dojo. Yeah. Like that's like 
so minuscule, like losing a friend and like really screwing over a friend, one person to like what she ends up doing further and further in the show, like just for her to like keep rising. It's just a progression of, of just how far she was willing to go ultimately to get what she wants. Mm -hmm. And that was power. And, you know, I will always appreciate the rise that we saw in Price's career over the course of the book, because all we see in Rebels is this person in power, another powerful imperial governor who knows how to wield it. And she wielded it well, I thought. You know, I I wasn't happy with with how much of that we saw, but we'll get into that after. uh, How about you give your third positive of Price, which you thought they transitioned well from the book to the show, and what you thought they did well with her character. What I really like is she continues to be all about herself, and it's not even like love for the Empire. The Empire is just like her method of getting what she wants. Everything she does in the book and in the show is just about herself. Whereas there's there's generally people who are like, I'm doing this for the Empire, not for myself. They might like get some ancillary benefits from the things they do and get more power and a life they enjoy. But they're doing it for the Empire and they understand like what the Empire is. Probably even people that believe the Empire is the best way to yeah. control the galaxy. But she is just all about herself. And it's like, I think that's something we see with a lot of Imperial governors. But... With her especially, it's like so intrinsic for herself, whereas the Empire is kind of just her method, her vessel to get what she wants. I really like that, her, her vessel to the means that she needs, to the end that she's uh, trying to attain. And that's kind of a stark contrast with how we saw Thrawn, especially in his conversation with Night Swan at the end of the book, where he even knew that the Empire was not the best force in the galaxy. But everything he did, he did to uphold it because he knew that this was their best shot at holding whatever is out there, Mm -hmm. whatever evil is out there at bay. And then we see Price kind of fall into that neat category of every other Imperial that we came to know, where it's all about personal power, personal gain. And I don't know, she started off her journey kind of trying to take back the mind for her family. It It was about her rise to power, but it was for the purpose of helping her family again. Because they fell after the Empire took their mind. They fell hard. And then we see her just kind of get manipulated by the the vision that the Empire holds for its people in power is is just how are you able to succeed yourself and, you know, to have personal success rather than for the greater good. They really did capture that well. And I I think especially what we saw with Paragosso City where she killed an Imperial agent for her own purposes. In Rebels, she blew up one of the most valuable, the the most valuable facility, Imperial facility in the region that she worked so hard to get all of that naval power, military power to Lothal, to make Lothal the hub of that system. And in the blink of an eye, she, she gets rid of it for what she saw as the the goal in the in the situation then that'll actually tie into one of my yeah. one of my negatives yes. not actually does she destroy that thing she celebrates it too she's like oh yes i'm the best uh, <laughs> oh i hate that so much oh my yeah God. it's it's a very it's a very flawed reaction even though like whoever like i don't know if it's that other admiral no he dies if like whoever tells me like hey like <laughs> we just blew up this whole thing and then like they warned her about it and she was like, nope, take care of it. Like, I want this Jedi gone. And yeah, she just blows it up and does it for herself and then covers for herself later in a not-so-great way. Or, or tries to, and we'll, we'll get to that. Um, 
I feel like I'm going to close my thought, my positives on, on Price with, and this is a very simple point, but I feel like the overall aesthetic of Price, from character design to how she carried herself in the show, how she interacted with others, was very true to what we saw in the book. Where even just with her features, with her design, with kind of like the drawling imperial voice to kind of like the short, neat black haircut, to how she treated others. And, and I think there's an example here of how very imperial she was and how very imperial they portrayed her was when Thrawn sent Rook to help her to find the rebels on Luthal in the hillsides. And Price, at the thought of Thrawn sending someone to help her, she's like, I don't need help. I can do this myself, which obviously, if she could just do it herself, she would have solved it by then. Uh, she would have had them by then. But then the way that she treats Rook when he shows up, because she's pissed at Thrawn for sending someone to help her in her mission, what she feels is, is her responsibility. And, you know, Rook is, uh, I, I forget his species, but he is a very different kind of harsh looking non-human assassin. And the way that she speaks to him when she shows up with just contempt, just dripping off of her voice, she doesn't even call him by his name. She just calls him assassin. I felt how she treated a non-human was very in line with kind of the Imperial that she became in the books. And we see that just on screen in a very just rude way, which is on brand. It is on brand. I think they did that well. It was just, I thought they, yeah. they captured her persona very well. I think, yeah, I remember like making a note during that point because like after they escaped the first time, but he puts a tracker on them. And they, like, report to each other, and then she tells him, you already let them go once, I'm going to handle it. And I'm just like, lady, they've been <laughs> running away for you for years, and you haven't been able to do anything. So, like, you don't have any room to tell people, be like, hey, you let them get away once. And I was like, they have escaped you for all. so long. You and Admiral Constantine just can't seem to catch them. I didn't even think about that, where... You know, yeah, for, I think for the entirety of season three or for so long, for so many episodes, all they had been doing was slipping through a grasp. You know, Thrawn had been letting them go mm -hmm. for the purposes of, you know, finding Chopper Base and really brilliantly. But for Price, it was just kind of mismanaging the situations and it, underestimating. I feel like as well as they captured her imperial arrogance, ultimately that's a lot of her downfall that mm -hmm. we see. And just kind of on the topic of her downfall, how about we get into the the negatives that we yeah. took I think from Rebels. Right before we get into the negatives, I think it might be sure. a good question to ask, and I don't have an answer, and you might not either, but like, which one is the real price? Is it the book one? Or like, which one is the, the right characterization? You know, like, I feel like most people might say the show because more people have probably seen the show than read the book. But like, it's like one of those things where like, which one is like the right way? She's not like a, a main saga character where it's be like, okay, we're going to base it off of what we see of Luke and on screen you know it's, i think it's just like positive and negatives it's still like it gives us something to talk about and yeah. one isn't more right than the other and because different people write it they're not going to mesh perfectly and yeah. i'm okay with the differences but we're here to talk about them and like it's oh, fun sure. to compare and and see the differences and it's also fun to not like stuff sometimes yeah, no, for sure. Just like unpacking because these are yes. complex characters. And, and as much as they were consistent with her depiction, uh, you know, I do like the nuances and how everything that we came to. And I feel like this speaks to Price's character as a whole. Everything we've come to expect from her, she always shatters expectations at some point. Yeah. And I feel like in the show, they, they did that well, where she always will surprise us with going one extra step. 
Yeah. And I feel like that's that's what sets her character apart is that she is, uh, as like the internal monologue that I opened us with, uh, she is unpredictable yeah. and in many ways. And, you know, I like how you're saying there's no right yeah. or wrong here. It's yeah. just how Price is in yeah. canon. It's it's official yeah. and just discussing it because she is a very nuanced character in many ways. So I know I very much appreciate that. I will stress that off of your point that the purpose of this episode is not decide whether Rebels got it right or wrong. You know, I feel like that's looking at it to, you know, black and white where it's, it, there's a lot of complexities here to unearth and unpack, and yeah. that's the fun of the discussion, yeah. How about you, uh, you dive into your next point for us, and uh, we'll see what you got. We kind of hit on this a little bit with some of the things we were saying about Price. To me, the biggest difference, or negative, or whatever you want to call it, is that yeah. she had a lot more military power in the show. Like, the one person I can really compare to is Tarkin, and, like, we see him in, like, military outfit and, like, uh, stuff like that, but, like, he's more of, like, a superintendent of a battle station making like big strategic plans for the empire where we see her in like one of the battles against like the rebel fleet where she's literally like standing at the helm of a star destroyer which is something that is a little bit out of the purview of what i would trust a governor to do that's a really good point that kind of i initially wrote that down as one of the things i was just confused at because a governor has a civilian i know mm -hmm. and I, I looked up if they do have military power and I know that it it was mentioned that she kind of has control of the resources, even military resources in her region. But as far as actually commanding, because you would think if she's on the Star Destroyer, the, the admiral of that Star Destroyer has the final say, you know, whether that's Admiral Constantine. Mm -hmm. I think it was Admiral Constantine that accompanied her on some missions, but she was the one calling the shots, which I was, yeah, I, I was really confused by that. If she was the right one if she was had any right at all to be leading these military it was it was cool to see her character getting to the thick of it but i just had yeah i had a lot of questions about that you know especially leading the like the final assault on the the rebel base for the battle of lethal you know she had like all the military gear on and and all that and i just uh yeah i was confused at that i wasn't sure if she was the best person to have in that situation as tactical as she can be you know you'd think that an actual soldier should be commanding the troops instead of a governor i don't know yeah it's a lot of military side to her not enough politics yeah, i think i understand like being like hey this is what i want done you know but as far as getting to yeah. the tactics and a touch unrelated you talked about like thrawn being like a little more careless with imperial lives in the show i think he, what thrawn does best is he lets people make their own mistakes because in that same battle where she was in charge of a star destroyer that's when constantine like is like i'm gonna beat him and then he ends up like messing everything up so yeah it's definitely like one of his strengths and like for her it's just like a weird spot especially at the end with his actual like physical combat not being like hey lock down the city it's i'm gonna go with you to lock down the city or i'm gonna be right there when they shoot the fuel depot it's kind of like one of those I don't know. She's like overstepping her bounds. And I think one of her flaws that I'll get into in a second is like she wants to do it herself. Yeah, which there were a lot of instances where she took command in the moment. She didn't have the same results as Thrawn, you know, and this kind of leads into if, if she was the right person to lead those missions. And, and I feel like that that's one of her downfalls is that as much as she wanted to be in the limelight, taking control of the missions, making the commands, this is one of my points here, her tactical ineptitude was kind of shown. Yeah, She made a lot of good decisions, but she also made some careless decisions. And I think for me, it opened when Thrawn called her out for the factory 
having kind of malfunctioning equipment like walkers were malfunctioning speeder bikes were exploding and all that and she told him we have quotas to meet which i think that showed some short-sightedness from her where she has literally occupied the planet with the empire and pressed these citizens into service uh, servitude for the empire to meet her quotas did she expect things to go perfectly there where they wouldn't try to get back at her with messing up the equipment i thought i thought that just meeting quotas was kind of short-sighted for her yeah in kind of like the hub of the imperial military might of the of the region it just wasn't a great look i thought it's kind of like she takes too many things under her control like she tries to be like in front and center in too many things so like with military or with like the production like she could have easily appointed someone to take care of the production you know like it's such an eli vanto moment for thrawn to know it's be yeah. like statistically your guys just messed up a lot more than anywhere else and when i saw that i was like <laughs> i was like that's some eli effect on thrawn but i think that's one of her her flaws is she's really good at burning bridges this is just going into my next point. So she she really uses people like people like Wahir and General Ranking and all the things that happen to her. She uses those people to like catapult herself throughout the book a lot. But in the show, either she's like burned all the bridges and no one's be like, hey, like you're messing me up. Um, I forget the name of the blonde haired lady at the beginning of Rebels. Minister Tua. I yeah, yeah, exactly. Tua. Yep. Minister yeah. Tua. She doesn't delegate. She doesn't send people anywhere. She doesn't use the things that she used to get into power. She like forgot about them when she was in power. She doesn't like use people or manipulate them. She is more like, like I said earlier, like a blunt force object. Whereas before she was like in the book, she was like really crafty and got people to admit things to her and like put pieces together. And in the show, she's just kind of like, she gets that imperial rank. And I actually had to look up her insignia on her at the end yeah. of the show. She's actually a grand moth. I don't think they ever say that. Yeah, I don't think we, yeah. <laughs> but I looked it up and I had to double check three times because like there's no way that's right. But that's what her insignia signifies. It's the same as Grand Moff Tarkin. It's a Grand Moff uh, insignia. And she doesn't use those people relationships, that manipulation that she used like so well to get where she is. That's one of like the negatives or like things that I wish would have continued um, in the show because she does a good job of that. Just using all of the people around her to just like keep going up. Even when she like hits the lowest of the low. She uses people and just kind of like she burnt all her bridges. So she's kind of like up there by herself. Maybe that's why she feels she needs to do it all herself. I like that a lot. That kind of ties into my own point where I feel like what we saw in the book with what you're saying, how she utilizes the people around her to help lift her up. It is for her purposes, but she knows how to use her relationship with Wahir and Driller to get, you know, get a job and from there get connections, from there to get higher and higher and higher. And Rebels, I guess when she was comfortable in her position at the top, you know, she could have used those around her to make sure that she had the best success, that she was efficient. But we didn't see that. It was all about what she could do, how she could utilize the moment. And I wonder if part of that's just maybe a good depiction of her just being a classic Imperial who isn't, like, you know, thrawn enough to use those around them to make the best out of the situation. But in some way, it also just isn't price enough yeah. from what we saw from the book, which that is a really good point. And I think that lack of character depth for me hit hard in her portrayal. I feel like it was too much of just how do I hit them with this hammer the yes. hardest? How do I just use the the brute force? For, she had some good, good intricate tactical moments here and there, but with something like blowing up the fuel depot, 
to kill Kanan. There are other ways to accomplish that. But it was just, how do I hit the hardest not seeing far enough? And I feel like, yeah, she was almost too simple in some of her decisions in the show. And I feel like that didn't really translate the depth that we saw from her and her decision-making and how she rose to power. And we didn't really see that kind of depth when she was in power, which I thought, like, I I agree. If she is a grand moff, if she's a, a governor of a planet, she would know how to kind of delegate correctly and to make the most of these situations but we just didn't see that and i wonder if that's just like a a flaw in her character just in her person or if you know that could have been built upon in in a different way in her portrayal i know that the show isn't about her and throne yeah that's exactly what i was gonna say i was like it's 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 never been about price in the show so it's okay that she was like a little copy pasted imperial um but it would have been cool to see like you know maybe like her parents died from like a rebel activity or something like that. Like something just, you know, we see her like very like intricately in the book and just, you want that to continue when you watch a TV show. And yeah. it's a little like disappointing that it isn't, but it's also like at the end of the day, you know, like you said, like it's about Hanan and Kara and Ezra and Sabine yeah. and, and all that. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's, that's a really good point. And I, for some reason I've mentioned it, but I didn't write this down is that she did seem at times, like you're saying, this copy-paste Imperial in the show. One of my problems with her is that she just seemed bad for the sake of bad, Mm -hmm. which I feel like, because we know she sent her parents to Lothal at the end of the book, like, you know, you can hang out in my governor's mansion or whatnot. We know that they are on Lothal, and that would have added motivation to her character. Mm -hmm. We saw her become ruthless in the book, but we could have seen that taken another level with a good reason in the show if like her parents died in in a rebel attack. That would have been a good motivation to build on her character rather than her just doing bad things because she can, which it's very imperial to an extent, but I feel it just kind of robbed us of the character depth that she had in the book where she did a lot of what she did. She killed people for her family. She killed Gudry because he was not going to take her parents with them out of Paragosto City. I feel like that could have been a good added motivation if, if we knew what happened to her mm-hmm. parents and if maybe that motivated her to do the things that she did. I do wonder what happened to her parents. We don't hear yeah. from them ever again. We don't hear what happened to them ever again. But I feel like that could have been a, a good point of connection for the depth of her character from the, the book to how she appeared in the show. But ultimately, her and Thrawn are side characters in yeah. in the show. And, you know, as much as I wanted them to expand on, you know, why is she, you know, for people who haven't read the books, why is she as bad as she is? Mm-hmm. It's just another copy-paste Imperial. But if we saw something more to that, but then again, I'm not the one writing the show. I yeah. don't have the the answers but it, that's a really good point yeah. i guess one way to think of it is like we got really lucky that we got a book that gives her a backstory you know like she could have yeah. easily not been in this thrown book and it could have been like you know just some other random villain but it's really cool that they work those and intertwine those into the story and it's cool that we we don't often get besides maybe the prequels the backstory of all the villains in star wars but we yeah. get to see that and we get to see thrawn and we'll get even more in October or September when the new like yeah. just book comes out. So just really cool to see, to see them in this other way of that. And like price kind of, you know, at the beginning of the book, she loses her parents, lose the mind to the governor. Is that governor Azadi? Yeah. At the beginning okay, of yeah. the, the book. Yeah. yeah. So she, she loses her, she probably didn't have any love for the empire before that, but she loses the, the mind and then she ends up getting that back, but she doesn't care about it. 
she just was like, you know what? Her like one like super empire move, or maybe it was for herself to be like, hey, I know how to, you know, exploit people. Is she gives it to the other people that are already almost there to mine the dunium. So, I understand like the lack of backstory, but like she like comes full circle to like to the point where she solves the problem of losing the mine, and then she just continues on her her bad streak of blowing yeah. stuff up and. <laughs> Literally, you know, she, she does a good job of continuing that. Terrible that, that for the fair. rest of the people on the fall. All of her original motivations kind of were washed away with uh, dissolving the mine and sending her parents to safety. Like, kind of the mine and her parents were the two motivating factors throughout her arc. And then when she ends up in, in power, it's kind of those are gone, and now she can just be bad yeah. uh, because she's now in the power that she wanted. I, I do want to touch back on her handling of the fuel depot in the Jedi Knight episode. I'm excited to hear this because you sounded really in arms about it when we touched it earlier. We saw a lot of brilliant moments from Price in the book. We saw some in the show as well. But this, to me, didn't really seem to make sense. I don't understand what she was, what, what her thought process was. The long and short of it is that you know, she, she blew up the fuel depot to kill Kanan. That's her victory. It seems too short-sighted for who we saw Price become in the book. She always, not to a thrawn extent, but she was able to have a long-term vision. And I feel like this moment, this is a very crucial moment where she obliterates the entire TIE Defender fuel supply, shutting down effectively that whole project that could have given the Empire the upper hand in this larger scale and it isn't it isn't the galactic civil war yet but it's you know they're having to face these insurgents in multiple spots this could have given them the upper hand in this big fight and i was disappointed when how quick she was to say target the fuel depot now do it blow it up i was disappointed then i was more disappointed and i think the biggest disappointment for me is how she tried to cover it up throwing a parade to to <laughs> To, to celebrate our victory, to celebrate our victory, throw a parade. Yeah. Did she really think that Thrawn, the head of this project, would not see right through it? Because how it's portrayed in the show when Thrawn is, you know, said, oh, your victory came at a cost, didn't it? She almost just curls up in the face of his wrath, just we see her face fall when she realizes that Thrawn knows what she did and is not fooled by this parade. Did she really think? I just don't know if that adds up with how we saw her in the book, if she really thought that she would get away with that. It, how she got away with the Paragosto City incident, perfect. Mm -hmm. no, one could, no one could find the proof, even if they tried. But here, it's, it's just, it was so easily exposed, and I think that disappointed me uh, a lot in regards to how brilliant she she was in the book yeah uh, i have the quote pulled up because i wrote it down when i was watching after Thrawn <laughs> hears about it he says i will deal with you when i return governor i think it's like the beginning or the end of an episode and it's just like whoa you know it's just so menacing and like earlier i stated like he like lets people make their own mistakes and i think he says too she messed up i was expecting her to but she did far worse than i was expecting he says something like that and yeah, I just feel like there were so many different things she could have done at that point. Um, even if she blew it up, whatever, she could have blamed it on the rebels. You know, be like, hey, they blew this up. She could have, like, spun it in a way that 
you know, the city lost power because they destroyed this fuel depot or whatever. She could have, like, spun it in, like, a way to build sympathy against the rebels. Be like, hey, like, we're trying to do a good thing here, but they're causing us to do all these bad things as the Empire to do the bad things. And just, like, she does a good job of accepting her defeats in the book. This is my last point. Is, like, she gets set back from the first governor or the first uh, governor or senator or whoever. And she's like, okay, she like goes to the very bottom rung and it works her way up. And she just continues to do that through the book where she just builds and like works really hard and even accepts things that aren't her fault. Whereas in the show, she kind of does more harm to her good to be like Governor Tarkin. Like it's her own undoing what she does. Like she blew it up. She held a parade, a parade to say that the rebels were destroyed even though she hadn't destroyed them yet it was just like a, a weird i don't know what faux pas means but i feel like it's a faux pas like it's just a <laughs> huge blunder by by her we, we've seen her make smaller mistakes but this was just something the magnitude of this one was so big and i think she could have tried to blame it on the rebels but that's a lot of you know because she was in an atat and told them to fire on the yeah. depot there's a lot of people involved in that chase of the rebels as they were escaping, like the the crew of both AT-ATs, all the military personnel there. It's a lot of people to have to keep yeah. their mouths shut about what happened. I feel like with Paragosso City, it was kind of her, she knew what she did, no one else can prove it. In this situation where so many people were involved in what she commanded them to do, it's just even if she tried to blame the rebels, I don't think she could have gotten away with that. I don't think that she would have put herself in a position where she knew she couldn't get away with it. <laughs> but she tried, and I just, uh, you know, throw a parade in front of a burning fuel depot. You know, hey, we won. Yeah. I, I, uh, I wasn't entirely satisfied with that. I just, uh, and the way that Thrawn told her that he'll deal with her later, that <laughs> ties into my last point. She seemed in the show like she was subordinate to Thrawn. In the book, I never got the feeling that Thrawn was looking down on her <clears throat> or that she was in a position to be looked down on by Thrawn. It was always you know, a need-based relationship where they were offering something to each other. They were very kind of on a level playing field. And I did not see that in the show, you know, where she cowered in fear with Thrawn saying that he's going to deal with her later for destroying his TIE Defender project. There was none of that. And I love chapter 29 of the book because she took her case to Thrawn. She was defiant to Thrawn. She was confident. And I feel like in the show, it was too much of her answering to Thrawn. You know, I know that he is a Grand Admiral. He's kind of in charge of overseeing the military operations in the Lothal region, but she's the governor of the planet. And I, I did not feel that she was on a level playing field with Thrawn at any point. It was, it was always her answering to him. And none of that defiance, I thought. Yeah, I, I'd never got the feeling that she was on the same level as Thrawn. It seemed that Thrawn was the big baddie, mm -hmm. and that she was one of the people who was carrying out his demands. Where in the book, it was very much, they're both in a powerful position, but it's not so much one over the other. It's, all right, we're on the same floor. How can we help each other? And I, I didn't get the feeling that, uh, I didn't see much at all of what Price could offer to Thrawn. Mm -hmm. We know that Thrawn was helping her root out the insurgents, but I never saw the other side of that, of how Price was also valuable to Thrawn. I, I was uh, kind of disappointed with that she was pretty much just another subordinate to him. Yeah, I have a flaw of like, 
always being able to defend Star Wars, I think. Like, you know, people attack, especially, you know, like, I have a friend who, like, is like, I don't like the prequels, and I'm like, oh, I like them so much, you know? Like, even though, like, we were, like, the same age, and he was a prequel kid, too. But, like, I think, I definitely see your point, like, where there's definitely, like, they're not on the same level playing field, or, like, they don't have that, like, symbiotic relationship that allows them to, like, kind of, like, get to where they are. Because Price tries to, like, she wants the military installations to go where she is. And even though they're Thrawn's idea, you know, it's definitely like her value to him is being like, Hey, let's get this thing built on your planet. But I think that she yeah, she definitely like cowers to him in a way she never really cowered to anyone else in that. And I wonder if it's because like, she feels like a failure cause she's failed for so long at getting these rebels and like Thrawn almost beats them. Like right when they, when Hera comes back to Lothal, She's like, hey, they broke through the blockade. And he's like, it's okay. They won't escape. And then all the TIE fighters come and wipe them out of the sky. And she's the one that ends up letting Hera go. And so she ends up being there when she gets rescued or whatever. So it's just, she definitely cowers. And I wonder if that's like part of her breakdown is like, she starts to feel like she's in over her head. I like that a lot. Cause she did really, aside from a few successes, few and far between, she did ultimately fail against the rebels. Mm-hmm. And, and I like that point. That's a good point where it kind of just, it adds up and we know how much pride she has in herself and her abilities and to see that not enough to defeat them. I, yeah, no, I, I think that's that's a good point how that could play into her just kind of crumbling yeah. in the end. And she and she does. We saw how um, after Thrawn said that, she, that he would deal with her, she feared that she was going to be executed by the Empire for destroying their own facility. Which is a fair point. And then former Governor Azadi, Ryder Azadi, plays on that desperation that Price is feeling where he tricks her into thinking that he is going to betray the rebels <laughs> and, you know, to, to come out to their outpost yeah. to capture them. And it ends up being a trap and she gets defeated there. But he played on that desperation there, too. She became vulnerable in her loss and in her desperation. And yeah, I feel like that. Yeah, that's that's fair. She ended up kind of just crumbling after her defeats where for a person like price with as much pride as she has you know you can only suffer so many losses before you're not who you once were i think that's all i had for price i think so do you have any i think sorry a last thought i have on her is oh yeah you're good i'm listening to a couple of episodes like in the middle um, like the, your friend who was a who was a guest host um, talked about like the point where he like really started to not like her. I forget what point that was, but he was like, I really yeah. don't like her. And I feel like it, we got to see so much of Price at a different point. Like a majority of the book, she's like this likable. We sympathize with her. We can empathize with her. But then there's like that part, the buildup where she just starts like turning on people, and then eventually like the jaw dropping moment when she blows up the settlement, like just like. You said like it was just an amazing point in the book, or I think um, whoever the the guest was said it was just like a jaw dropping point in a Star Wars book, and it is even like the second third time going through, you're like, this I was not expecting. It's just like, it's almost like that silent moment in the Last Jedi where you're just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. Yeah. And then like, so I feel like it's almost unfair to compare Price to anything before or after that moment. Like they're two just like different mentalities, different headspaces. Um, and I think just Timothy Zahn did a great job of building her up to this person that we like and then like dramatically just like flipping that switch and making us being like, wow, like she is just a true badass, just like willing to do whatever. So I just, I really, 
just love the experience of the book and that it tied into the TV show. So I think so well, especially with Thrawn. Um, I don't know why when you asked me, you gave me the option of Thrawn or Price. And when I started, I was like, <laughs> why the hell did I pick Price? But I think at the end, I'm glad, especially because I didn't, didn't read like the, the original Thrawn stories and just exploring like someone who like many people overlook. Like there's so many small characters in Star Wars and people grab onto the smallest things. Like people love Boba Fett or whoever else, you know, for like the smallest things they do. And I might not love Arinda Price, but it was fun to like explore her and just see what she's about and get a different take on a different person in the Empire instead of just the normal standard Imperial thing we get to experience. Yeah, that's a good point. And I'm glad that we got to see her in the lens that we did in the book with, like you were saying, thankful that we even got her backstory to begin with. She could have just been another side Imperial character, but being able to see her progression, I love how you sum that up where we're, we're built up to empathize with Price in a lot of moments, and then she just drops the hammer on us with, when she blew up Paragasso City. And, and you're right, from then on, she was just, that's no, like nothing she had ever done before in the book. It was unique in that way, and from then on, she is very much a different person. And I feel like how she appeared in the show captured how different she was from how we knew her, yeah. her, her story growing in the Thrawn book and seeing what she's capable of. And I feel like it did a good job portraying what she was capable of in the show, militarily, hand-to-hand combat, <laughs> uh, you know, tactics in, in, in some ways, not so much in others, but we saw that she is a force to be reckoned with. And I think that's... I, I like how she did have some some victories against the rebels where, you know, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't executed in the same way that Thrawn was able to get his victories. But we saw that she is very competent in, in many ways. She has her, her shortcomings. She failed ultimately. But how she got there, I think there was, you know, what they got right in the show, I think they, they did well. What they got right about her character, I think they did well. I, I'm with you there. And it was just, The Rebels is such a good show. And just her and Thrawn just both being there, it really just enriches that whole experience in the show. And, and yeah, yeah that's, sure. that's it. I, that's all I got. <laughs> I will say that when I came into this episode, prepping for this episode, I initially thought that I would... I would be hard-pressed to find anything about Price that I liked from Rebels because I was so disappointed. I think the Fuel Depot, that topped the cake for me. I'm, st- I'm always going to be disappointed in how she handled mm-hmm. that. I think that's the point. I think that's the point of it. Yeah. But I, I will say that after watching her scenes, after taking these notes, I did come away from this with a better taste in my mouth. I think that, yeah, what they captured well from her character, they really showed it well. Uh, and she was not a perfect character. She was never meant to be a perfect character. But, you know, just the Rebels TV show as a whole is one of my favorite Star Wars experiences. We would never see the same depth to Thrawn, to Price that we saw in the book. That's not the style of the show. That's not the purpose of the show. I think my favorite moments were when she was able to show off her Yin Sham Dojo <laughs> combat abilities. Uh, and one of, you know, I kind of like close my thoughts here is that I think when she was asking Tarkin for the seventh fleet to help out at Lethal. I love that interaction with her and Tarkin where 
I, I didn't know that she was a Grand Moff, so this makes sense now knowing that. In that scene, it was just a casual conversation. There was no contempt from Tarkin. The way that he talked to and treated Price was very much, we're on the same we're on the same field. If we're shown that Tarkin respects this character, that she is, that's how we know that she's legit. And I, I love that little interaction where, yeah, we saw a lot of mutual respect in that moment. And I think that's when I knew that, yeah, this is Governor Price. And I, I was ha really happy with that. Yeah, that, that kind of closes out my, my thoughts on Price. This was really good discussing. I, I love the energy that you bring to Star Wars in general. Uh, on that note, could you talk a little bit about your, your blog and just your your star wars presence on the internet yeah so like like i said like the top of the show like reading is like my favorite way to consume star wars I like buy the books like the day they come out and i struggled when i started reading with alien names and ship names like there's so many things out there that like i didn't know and i always had this issue of like looking up stuff and being spoiled so i started creating these book guides they're kind of like visual dictionaries for the books where like I break it down by chapter. So like chapter one, you'll get like the picture of the kit main characters. And then every time they mention, you know, a food, a spaceship, a planet, a system, I just have a blurb. If there's a picture, I have a picture. So you can like develop your visual experience of reading a little bit better. Um, it's really helped me like understand a lot more of Star Wars. And this podcast was like the thing that like was like, oh, I can do this for this thing. Cause like people are actually reading Thrawn. And I just started it, yeah, and I'm gonna have one for the the second season with Master and Apprentice. I'm gonna keep pumping them out as much as I can, but it's like really what I like I want to add to like the fandom in that way of people being able to read a book and just get a better picture because maybe if, if Thrawn was your first book, you might not know a lot of the things. you know. I go as simple as what's a tie fighter to like as complicated as I don't even know like a kyber crystal. That's not that complicated. Um, but yeah, you can find them at. <laughs> at seanwars.com and it's i spell my name s-h-a-u-n so seanwars.com i'm also on twitter at, at seanwars and i just gotta say like I, the podcast was like it was the thing that got me like as the catalyst to get me started it's such a sustainable way i think you did a really good job doing the bi-weekly episodes because i see a lot of people like start doing weekly podcasts and get burnt out and as, especially for readers like you always can't read two chapters in a week so having just that two weeks to do a bit, all right, I could spend 45 minutes to read these two chapters in a whole uh, 14 days really makes it accessible to the readers. And I just think like, you've done like a super job. Like I don't have many friends that read Star Wars books, but this gives me that companion to hear other people's thoughts and help <laughs> contribute to, to the conversation instead of just me by myself. I'm being like, oh, this is cool. You know, I love hearing differing opinions and people not liking stuff and people liking stuff and people liking stuff I didn't like just a really cool way to to experience Star Wars and like be a fan with other people even though we might not be up together I appreciate that very much and first of all thank you for you know what you're saying about the show I, I think that you know I, I love that you know it, it can provide that access point for you and that's you know the, the vision that I have for this show is is being able to move at a pace where you know we're not rushing through real the intricacies and get to able to we're able to talk about them and I love what you did because I read through your Thrawn book guide and I was really impressed with how with how much I didn't know <laughs> from you know what what certain species looked like to just definitions and uh, it, it really expanded my own knowledge of a book that I thought I knew very you know very well but when it comes to the finer details and the names and the and the species and equipment and all that it really just 
opens up that view so much more. I think you did a really, you do a really good job with those guides. I'm looking forward to what you can do with Master and Apprentice. Yeah. Um, I will post, uh, listeners, I'll post links to Sean's website and his Twitter in the episode description. He does really great work. Make sure to check out his his book guides. And honestly, his presence on Twitter, You know, if you're looking for just a, a positive, honest, genuine, authentic Twitter presence, make sure to give him a follow. You won't be disappointed. And thank you, Sean, for making the time to come on this show. It was really good talking to Rinda Price with you. It was uh, it was really great. Thanks, man. Yeah, it was a pleasure. I'm happy that this was my uh, first podcast and it was about books. And hopefully we get some more people to love some things about Rinda Price. That's the goal. That, that is the goal. And listeners, thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to follow Outer Rim Reads on social media, feel free to give our Twitter account a follow at Outer Rim Read Pod. And you can listen to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Outer Rim Reads is created by Andrew Geha. It is produced by Andrew Geha. It is edited by Andrew Geha. And we'll be back in two weeks with episode 18, in which we will discuss Thrawn's adaptation from the book to Rebels. So until then, sit back and enjoy. Have a game of Cubicod with that Mandalorian over there. Don't let her colorful armor fool you. And here she plays with a lot of bravado.